Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. It's time for another football archaeological discovery as we have Timothy P. Brown of footballarchaeology.com visit us to tell us all about a little award called the President's Cup and its meaning in history. And Tim's got the story coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes, pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And once again, we have a visit from our friend Timothy P. Brown of footballarchaeology.com. And he's got another subject from one of his tidbits uh, that he wrote recently that's uh, going to talk about something that uh, you'll find rather interesting, as, as I did when I read it. Uh, Tim, welcome back to the Pigpen. Darren, glad to be back. Uh, look forward to the chatting again and enjoying the winter weather as we talk football. Your tidbit's extremely interesting. And this one tonight you had titled Battling for the President's Cup. And it was just recently in, on January 26th. I wonder if you could you could talk a little bit and tell us what the President's Cup was. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's one of those things that was uh, that is now kind of forgotten, right? Most people have never heard of the President's Cup, but it was kind of a big deal in the state. And so, but like most things, there's kind of a background in order to in order to talk about the real subject, right? And so, you know, I think the the main point, and you know, my my first book was about um, football played by military teams during World War One. So, you know, I, I've always kind of followed uh, football played in in military settings, and I think it's one of those things that is. Uh, is really underappreciated in terms of the development of football as a game. And so the military, just by nature of their mission, um, you know, they, they took the game overseas before anybody else did. So the first, as an example, the first uh, game played in Europe was played by two battleships that were part of the Great White Fleet. And they played in Nice, France in 1909 yada yada um and so you know the the military you know if if you think about it who's in the military well a lot of times it's a bunch of young men who are physically fit physically able and a lot of them need to blow off steam and one of the ways that they have traditionally done that is through athletics you know navy was always big on boxing because you could do that on ship at sea but they were also big on playing football and so so sports was both a recreation and a way to maintain fitness in the military 
you know, kind of as far back as people played sports for recreation. Um, and then it really got a push in World War One. Um, you know, that all the training camps during World War One, there was a lot of uh, all kinds of sports being played. The YMCA was a big uh, uh, played a big role both in camps in the states and over in in Europe. And one of the things that YMCA did was provide athletic equipment, and they set up basketball courts and football fields, etc. So athletics was a big thing. And so one of the things that kind of came out of the World War I experience was that there were, um, it was really the first time, other than you know a couple of the pro leagues in Ohio or Pennsylvania, it was really the first time where there were all-star teams put together of men who had graduated from college in the past five, six years who were all in the, in the service together at one camp or another. And these camps had 50,000 people. They had 26,000 people. I mean, these were massive, uh, you know, massive groups of young men. And the biggest college in the in the country at the time was Penn, with which had 7,500 students. So all of a sudden you had lots and lots of young men playing football. They formed these camp teams and they were very successful. They got lots of news coverage. Lots of people attended their games. They played colleges. They beat the college, you know, the better teams beat the colleges. Um, so, you know, they were playing as good a football as there was in the country, you know, during World War II or World War I, sorry. So, uh, but even, you know, so then once the, once the war ends, basically guys all, you know, they go back to civilian life, but there remained a core of, of uh, people playing uh, or remaining in the military and, then they continued playing football. And one of the things that they did was, um, you know, the the Navy had done this back, you know, till from 1905 on, but they would have these tournaments where all the destroyers or all the battleships or all the cruisers who were stationed at a particular port would have a tournament for football, for football teams. And they determine who was the champion. And then they, you know, the, Norfolk would play the champion of New York and Philadelphia or whatever. In the end, um, you know, they ended up, uh, they ended up forming these teams where it was like, okay, we're going to get the best Navy team and the best army team or the best Marine team. And we're going to see, they're going to play one another and see who's best. So from like 1920 on, on the East coast, they played a game like that. And, uh, kind of year after year, as Quantico Marines won because they just uh, they emphasized it enough, and they had some really talented players. But in 1924, no, 1925, Calvin Coolidge decided to present the President's Cup to the winner of the active duty football tournament on the East Coast. Right. Hmm. So it was just you know it's one of those things where the president and the cabinet, you know, n multiple cabinet secretaries, the general staff, the admiralty, those people would be at the games. Their wives would be at the games. Um, they would, uh, it, and it became a big social event in Washington, D.C. or Baltimore. You know, they played it in a couple of different locations. Um, you know, they have these military balls after the games. <laughs> And it base it kind of you know I mean it never got to the same level as the Army Navy Academy games, 
but it probably wasn't too far behind that in terms of the stature because it was like yeah he's college kids but these are the active duty guys right these are the real soldiers and sailors so it's just a it was kind of a, a neat thing where these guys ended up playing and um but you know, unfortunately shortly after um shortly after the um Coolidge presented this cup and the army decided to kind of de-emphasize these all-star teams and then the navy did too and uh so then the marines were left to play the, uh, the coast guard and da 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 and eventually it all moved um the east coast kind of fell apart and the emphasis on these military all-star teams moved to the west coast um where what's now pendleton uh, in San Diego, and you know, the, versus the West Coast Fleet and the and the Army Corps that that handled the the Western Army, you know, Corps. Um, but so it's just one of these things that's kind of lost in time. I mean, nobody knows about this stuff anymore. But it was a big deal. It was in all the newspapers, and you know, I, I mean, another I think really kind of fun fact is just that of the. The, I think it was 1921 and 26 teams were coached by this guy who had played at West Point, and then he coached St. Mary's College in Texas, um, and his name was Dwight Eisenhower, right? So here's a guy who, you know, became president. You know, he led the led the Allied effort in Europe in World War II, then becomes president. But he was coaching one of these teams, you know, back in the back in the 20s. And, um, you know, he, at one point he was stationed in, in Panama and the guy who was the head coach, who has a whole separate story that I've written about, you know, just incredible stories that, that guy had. But anyways, um, you know, he, he, he requested, hey, bring Ike back here because I need him to help coach my team. So he transferred <laughs> Ike from Panama back to the States so that he could help coach this this all-star football team you know it's just like crazy things that happen to guys because of football so anyway it's just it's one of these things that i think people people know very little about anymore about this president's cup on the west coast they played uh what they call the armistice armistice game or armistice day game um and they tried to apply the President's Cup there. It didn't work out, and they just kept on playing the Armistice, Armistice Day game. But so anyways, you know, in both locations, it was a big event, big social event, military balls, big newspaper coverage, and very good football, right? Now, you know, a lot of these guys, um, you know, initially there were a lot of guys who played at West Point or Army, and then they made it only for enlisted men. So, uh, but still, a lot of good athletes, just a lot of – young men at these bases and you know they, they had their pick of 10 20 30,000 young men you know who could play football hmm. so they put together some pretty good teams well you know I, I maybe i asked you this when we were talking about the rose bowl games we were talking about those military teams from from that era from world war one but uh, did those uh camp teams did they ever play that like the main army team or the main you know the naval academy team or, or west point team um so Yes, but um, so in 1918, Great Lakes played a. Uh, they played the Naval Academy. They had they had come out east, so they they had played four or five Big Ten teams, and either tied or beaten them. 
And then they went out east and they played Rutgers, who had Paul Robeson at the time. And they just cleaned their clocks. They won like, you know, whatever it was, 43 to 6 or something. They just blew Rutgers away. And the next week they go they go to Annapolis. And Annapolis was winning six to nothing late in the fourth quarter with the ball on like the one and a half yard line. And a guy named uh, Ingram, who became famous as coach later on, um, he was, I believe his quarterback, maybe his fullback. But anyways, he fumbles the ball, pops in the air into the hands of a, a Great Lakes player who grabs the ball, runs 100 yards. Well, he tries to run 100 yards the other direction, and one of the Naval Academy players comes off the bench and tackles him. <laughs> and so then, you know, all hell breaks loose. Right? <laughs> and uh, so anyways, the the Academy superintendent comes out on the field and says, you're giving you know, orders to referees because the rules didn't have, you know, didn't clarify what the situation should be here or those conditions. And the Academy superintendent says, you are giving that touchdown to Great Lakes. You know, our guy cheated. That was it. Right. The, the referee said, okay, fine. <laughs> they did. <laughs> and so then Great Lakes won the game. And in the locker room afterwards, they get the invitation to the 1919 Rose Bowl. So, huh. so, you know, so Army and Navy played some of those, you know, played some of the camp teams, but uh, it was pretty limited, you know. And, and so I, I, for sure, I know about the Great Lakes game. Um, I'm not, you know, I'd have to look at their, at their records, you know, for 17 and 18 to check on that. But, but I think that's the only, that may have been the only game like that. Yeah. I wasn't sure if they would or not, because it's, you know, the, basically what the, the Naval, the academies are going to be officers and, you know, they're playing the, yeah. the regulars that are, you know, the, the, the guys that are going to be the grunts, you know, play, playing them. So I didn't know if maybe they didn't want to cross those, those streams or, or not, but interesting. Yeah, so you know, well, in World War, during World War One, you know, the different camps applied different rules. Most of them allowed both officers and enlistment to play on the same teams. That was kind of unusual. Okay, the, the Navy was the Navy and Marines were especially that way, but um, the Army was a little bit more, you know, keep them separated. But um, but anyway, you know, so you know. 1918, they had the Spanish flu, and so it, a lot of a lot of what went on that season was play any opponent you could find, because things got so screwed up with Spanish flu and the was well, SATC upended most of the schedule. So it was kind of a bizarre. It was probably the worst, the most bizarre season, even worse than the COVID season that we all went through recently. Hmm. Wow, that, that so, was pretty yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just in terms of just strange schedules and craziness. Uh, 1818 was worse. So, well, Tim, as always, uh, that's great stuff. <laughs> now, uh, and you know, why don't you uh, t- tell everybody how they can get a hold and uh, read your tidbits that you come out with every day? Yeah. So, uh, so you know, the site is footballarchaeology.com, and the two ways to uh, to get access to it, um, if if you're interested in looking at it daily, is one is just to subscribe. Um, you can bookmark it obviously if you want, but if you, if you subscribe, you'll get an email sent to you with the article contents every night at seven o'clock Eastern. Um, or you can follow me on, on Twitter 
Uh, and again, I'm, you know, football archaeology there as well. So either way, uh, my preference is that you subscribe on the site because then make sure that you get the whether you read it or not. At least I know you've received it. That's right. All right. Well, great stuff as always. And uh, Tim, we really appreciate you. And uh, folks, make sure you give a visit to footballarchaeology.com and do as Tim suggests, subscribe, get that uh, daily tidbits. It's a really a great read each and every day and you stay in football all year long. And it's a, a really, really excellent way to do that. So Tim, thanks a lot uh, for joining us and, and sharing that story. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Hey, Darren, look forward to seeing you next Tuesday. Thanks. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.